Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. If I were to ask you um, this morning, how are your investments doing? How are your investments doing? Good. No, okay. You don't, you don't have to answer. It's just a rhetorical question. Um, well, over the last uh, few years, been a lot of talk about uh, the financial situation, and now, of course, our, our country in the financial situation. And how are your investments been doing lately? You know, the Bible talks about uh, different kinds of investments. Uh, Lord Jesus Christ said, you know, lay up not treasures on earth where moths uh, destroy, where rust corrupts it, but lay up your treasures in heaven where nobody breaks in and steals and nothing happens to them. We're going to talk this morning about investments, investments in people, investments in people. That's our topic this morning. I'd like you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. And if you're visiting with us uh, from out of town, we, are, we have been studying the life of Elijah. We have a series on the life of Elijah. And we'll transcend a little bit into Elisha before we um, complete this series from, from 1 Kings. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we open your word this morning, we pray that our hearts, our hearts would be opened to your word and that, that your words would be heard. We pray, Lord, that our hearts would be sensitive to your scriptures. We thank you for them. We thank you that we can come and open them today freely, read them, consider them. And this, we just give our hearts to these next few moments that you would speak to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, last week in 1 Kings chapter 19, we considered the account of Elijah on Mount Horeb, which is also Mount Sinai, where God uh, took uh, this very discouraged, a very um, despondent Elijah, uh, so despondent that he was at the point of asking God to just take his life because there was no point in him living anymore. With the way things have gone, when Jezebel put out the threat and said, I'm going to kill you, Elijah, um, I'm going to kill you. And Elijah took off, he ran, and God had him come all the way down to Horeb, provided food so he could last for 40 days. And we considered the similarities between Moses and Elijah on Mount Sinai, on Mount Horeb, where God uh, placed Moses in the cleft of the rock and passed by him and proclaimed his mercy. And Elijah was on there on the mountain, and God came by in the fire and the wind and the earthquake. And finally, in that still, small sound of quietness, sound of nothing, that God was there and spoke to Elijah. And we, con- and we concluded last week where, at the end of chapter, toward the end of chapter 19, where God calls Elijah and as I mentioned last week, you know, we see so much of the person of God here. He didn't scold him. He didn't yell at him. He didn't fire him for doing this. But he put him back to work. And he said, you know, Elijah, Elijah in verse 15, uh, go back the way you came. Anoint Hazael, verse 15. Anoint six, verse 16, anoint Jehu. 
And then he says in verse 16, Anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Then he goes on to explain, Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. And then he reminds him, Yet I reserve, uh, some translations, I will reserve, I, I reserve, I have reserved, 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. And he puts Elijah back in the ministry, puts him back to work, and sends him out to do what God had called him to do. And, and as we, we, we have seen several times in the story of Elisha, verse 19, so Elisha went. God calls him, he goes. Go to the widow, go to Ahab. Uh, go to Obadiah, we saw that. And, and now he says, Elisha, go back. And Elisha obeys and he goes. Maybe he's still despondent. You know, maybe he's still discouraged. Maybe he's still worried, but he goes. And Elisha went. And he went up from there. And I want us to look at this account this morning. We're just going to cover this, this last part of this. And then I'm going to ask you this next week, if you take time to read uh, the rest of First Kings, um, uh, because we're, gonna, we're not going to cover in detail the next few chapters. But Elijah goes from there, and he finds Elisha. And uh, yes, their names are very similar, Elijah and Elisha. Um, anytime in the Old Testament that you see a name that ends with the A-H sound, it means Jehovah or Yahweh something. It's the short form of Yahweh, Yahweh. Uh, you know, we use the word Jehovah. That's kind of another study how we ended up with Jehovah out of Yahweh. But it's the A-H indicates something about Jehovah or the Lord of Israel. And in, El- in Elisha's case, his name actually is very similar to uh, Yeshua, Joshua, or Jesus, Elisha. And it really has to do with God saves. Eli, El, is God. So you really have both names of God. God saves. Uh, God, Yahweh. God, uh, Yeshua. God, Yeshua. I mean, God, um, uh, Jehovah. God saves is his name. And so he goes and he finds Elisha, the son of Shaphat. And you notice what Elisha was doing? Elisha was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, maybe 12, either either six teams of two or 12 teams of two, probably six teams of two, 12 oxen. He's farming. He's plowing this agricultural community, and he's plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. And you notice he himself was driving the 12th pair. And that's where in the Hebrew it, it might indicate this idea there are actually 12 sets of two, maybe 24 oxen. So Elisha, what does this tell us about Elisha? Well, I think it's worth, I think it is worth noting, without going into too much, you know, symbolism, that the number 12 is there, which, of course, the Israelites would correspond to the important number of the 12, the 12 uh, tribes of Israel, the 12 sons of Jacob, the number 12. This also would indicate that Elisha is probably from a very, a pretty wealthy family. Um, it's interesting, uh, our brother uh, Kennedy Sumtoe, who will be here for our missions conference, uh, Kennedy and Sophia came from Africa, and they were, they were with us this past week. 
and uh, stayed with us from Tuesday on. As they came early, met up and headed down to Grants Pass with uh, Chuck Beepus. And uh, Kennedy was telling us the other night, Teresa was mentioning that uh, there's a family that comes on Wednesday night that she's uh, expecting her sixth daughter. Sixth daughter, right? Two sets of twins, that's four, right? Okay. And then five, and now they're expecting number six. And uh, she was saying that on the way home, and you know what Kennedy said? Oh, he'd be a very wealthy man. Now, you know, I've got three daughters, and, uh, <laughs> you know, you think in terms of weddings and stuff like that, you know, you're kind of thinking the opposite, you know. Oh, he'd be a very wealthy man. And said, because in, in Africa, in their culture, that um, you have to pay the, 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 the bride's family. And he said, and he kept using the term cow. You have to pay, provide cows or money for cows. And uh, he was just telling us that his family, where uh, one of his cousins got married, a guy, and they had to chip in all together and put in money, American, he gave his denominations, to buy a cow for this family. But that was his first, it was, it was very interesting to me. When we were in Africa back in 1998, in a lot of ways I felt I was closer to the Bible world culturally than I was when I'd been to Israel two times. That the very, very, the culture and, and, and very similar and, and this number of cows would indicate wealth. Oh, I'd be a very wealthy man to have six daughters uh, down the road. And uh, so you think about that. Some of you think about having kids, you know, if you keep, keep having those girls, that'd be good for you. So, so this, Elisha comes from a wealthy family. They are wealthy enough to have 12, 12 yoke of oxen, maybe 12 pair of oxen, and Elisha's out there farming. It's a wealthy family. They're well-to-do. And uh, he, he, needs, he doesn't need to go anywhere else or do anything else or seek any other uh, employment or career. He's out there plowing with 12, 12 oxen. And he's at the 12th. He's at the end. So, so the 11 pair come, come by. And it says Elijah, Elisha was driving the 12th pair. You know, the 12 pair of oxen, 11 pairs in front of him. And here he comes with the 12th. And look at this, with this kind of strange story. Elijah goes up to him, threw his cloak around him. So, uh, you know, you might think, well, this is real common. Well, it's, you know, the, in the Old Testament world, the cloak is symbolic of, of, of a status and a, or a calling or an office, you might say. But we really don't have any stories in Scripture that up till now they really talk about someone throwing a cloak on somebody. Elijah comes up to Elisha and takes his cloak and he throws it on Elisha, who's driving 12 pair of oxen. He's at the number 12. And this, and this prophet comes up, this prophet who, if he's similar to John the Baptist in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, John the Baptist who wears, you know, the, the wild clothing, uh, eats locusts and honey, uh, is an outdoor guy from the wilderness. He comes, he comes in the spirit of Elijah. So Elijah probably comes looking like this. And he takes his, he's just come back from, from, from over 40 days. Uh, Mount Horeb, and he hasn't eaten much. He's been out in the desert. He's, he's, he's dusty. He's dirty. He comes up. He finds Elisha, and he throws his cloak on him. Now, what would you think? What would that mean to you? He throws his cloak on him. And look what Elisha says to him. The cloak lands on him, threw it around him. And Elisha left his oxen, and he ran after Elijah. So not only did Elijah come up, and take his cloak and throw it over Elisha. He left. He's walking away. He's going away. And, and Elisha, 
Elisha stops plowing. He stops plowing and he runs after Elijah. And he comes up to Elijah. And this is what he says. Let me kiss my father and my mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. You know, um, this is pretty this is pretty admirable that Elisha, he just says, Elijah, I get it. I get it. I will come with you. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my mother and father. Let me go back. In fact, in, in Jewish tradition, Elisha, this, this is a positive thing because he's, he's known as a man of compassion. He's the compassionate prophet. Because in their tradition, that he's willing to, to go back and say goodbye to his mom and dad before following Elijah. Let me go back and say goodbye to my father. Let me go back and kiss them and say goodbye. And then I will come and I will follow you. Now remember, Elijah is not a popular person. Elijah is a man that King Ahab was looking all over the country for. Remember a few weeks back we talked about that, how he was scouring the country looking for this man who had caused so much trouble in Israel. And then Jezebel, the queen, has put a price out on his head, if you, if you will, and said, I'm going to kill him as soon as I find him. We're going to kill him. Elijah is not a popular man. He's a wanted man. It's a dangerous situation. He's not a popular person. And he has just killed hundreds of prophets of Baal. And Elisha is willing to go, but first, let me go home and kiss my father and my mother. And then I will come and follow you. Now this is, this next sentence, I I wish I could tell you exactly what Elijah means, but I can't. You know, I checked everything I could. I even, you know, read the Hebrew best I could. I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but it's not that complicated. It's pretty simple. And uh, what, is, what is this? I mean, look at it. Elijah says, Elijah says to him, go back. What have I done to you? Now, what do you make of that? You know, I mean, think of it. Here, here Elijah comes up, throws his coke on Elisha, walks away. He's leaving. Elisha runs up and says, let me go kiss my father and mother. I will come and follow you. And Elijah says, go back. What have I done to you? What have I done to you? I mean, what do you make of that? I wish we were in a small classroom setting. Uh, what, what, t- talk to somebody. What do you think? Go ahead. You can talk here. I, I know you can talk. I hear you. Talk to somebody. What do you think that means? Turn to somebody. Your mouth open. Talk. Talk. What do you think he means? What do you think he means? <laughs> go back. What have I done to you? Any answers? What do you think? What do you guys come up with? What do you guys think here? What do you think, Michael? I would be really confused. Okay. If you were Elisha, you'd be a little confusing. All right. Anybody else? Good. Okay. One, one understanding might be Elijah might be saying, of course, go back. I had never said you couldn't do that. Go back. Say goodbye. Good. Anybody else? How about on this side? Anybody come up with anything? It's yeah, Rita. Okay. He knew it was going to be a rough road ahead, and he wanted Elisha to be sure of his commitment. Good. You know what? You, you, guys, could all, you guys could all write theology books, because that's, the that's the best spectrum I found in my research. Um, you're all Hebrew scholars today. Um, and that's kind of the spectrum. And, and, you know, sometimes in Scripture there are certain things that are maybe... And, you know, maybe it's kind of vague for a reason. 
Maybe it's vague for a reason. Maybe, maybe that's exactly what Elisha, Elijah, keep him straight now, Elijah was, was maybe trying to say, maybe put, the, put him together. It was confusing to Elisha. I mean, I would imagine. What do I do now? You know, do I go with him or do I go home? And, 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 and maybe, you know, there's this, this balance of both of, of Elijah saying, I, I never said you couldn't go home. Of course you go home and say goodbye. And at the same time, but, but are you really going to come? If you're going to come, it's, it's, it's going to be costly. Go home and say goodbye. And if you're really serious about this, after you say goodbye, come. Come. And Elijah leaves. Elijah leaves. And Elijah goes home. So, so Elisha goes home. Sorry, Elisha goes home. Verse 21. He left him. He went back. And look what he does. He took his yoke of oxen. Now listen, if there's 12 pair, that's 24. If it's 12 oxen, it's 12. And I'm going to assume we've got 24 oxen here. We've got 12 pairs of oxen. That's 24 oxen. You know how much money that represents in this world? 24 oxen. I mean, that's like, that's like 12 daughters worth of marriages. You know, I mean, there's a lot of animals. 24 oxen. This is a huge fortune. And he takes them and he goes back and he takes the oxen and he slaughters them. I mean, think how much time that took. Now, I was, I was teaching, I've been teaching sometimes for Grace Bible College in their online program and teaching class on redemption in the Old Testament and talking about all the, the sacrifices, and, and somebody one time said, who cleaned up in the temple? I, I, used, I worked in a butcher shop one time, and I know what's involved in slaughtering. Who, who cleaned that mess up? It was a good question. I don't know. I guess the priests and Levites did. But, but, but he slaughters maybe 24 oxen, kills them, slaughters them, prepares them. And then he takes them, and he burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat, and he gave it to the people, and they ate. He took the 24 oxen, he took the harnesses and everything he used for his business, he used that to build the fire, he destroyed everything he owned for making a living. He gave up everything, and he slaughtered the oxen and burned them, but he kept the meat, of course. He didn't, this, this wasn't a case of a complete uh, dedicated offering. They took the meat and he had a big celebration and the community came together. He gave it to all the people, his whole town. They came together. They had a big feast. They shared in his ordination, if you will. They shared in his calling. They shared in Elisha's commitment. And he gave up everything. And he left, and he followed Elijah. And it says that he set out to follow Elijah and became his attendant. Some of the translations say disciple. That's really more of a New Testament term. The Old Testament it really has to do more with attendant, helper. But he set out. And as you read this week, as I've asked you to read in, the, in this week to come, if you would take some time to read chapter 20, Chapter 21, chapter 22, and finished 1 Kings. As you read all those stories, I want you to think 
with everything that happens, Elisha's right there. Anytime Elijah is mentioned, and it's not always a whole lot. Actually, there's a lot of space here between Elijah's name and these, and these next accounts. But whatever happens, Elisha is there with him all the way, every step. He leaves and he follows Elijah. And it's not until 2 Kings chapter 2, which we'll look at next week, that Elisha actually gets to wear that cloak. He threw it on him. But he didn't get to keep it. And I don't know where that fits in the story. When he got it back, or if he just gave it, it was a symbolic thing, he threw it on him and he gave it back and then went home because it's in chapter 2 of Second Kings that he gets to wear, he gets to have the cloak of Elijah. Elisha gave up everything. You know, it's, it's certainly in the, in the gospel stories, for the, at least for the Jewish audience, in the gospels, um, as they heard the Lord Jesus Christ call and preach and teach, and as they heard, the, and as they read the Gospels, as Matthew, Mark, and Luke and John recorded these accounts, uh, Luke chapter nine would would certainly hearken to this story. Luke chapter nine, and uh, as we come to, the, the, as, as my Bible says, the, the testing of discipleship. In Luke chapter nine. They were walking along, verse 57, Luke 9:57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. It didn't say who it is. And Jesus said, foxes have holes, birds have the air, of the air have nests. The Son of Man doesn't even have a place, doesn't even have a bed. I don't have a, I don't have a home. I have no home. I have no place to go to every night. He said to another man, follow me. And the man replied, Lord, the f- first, let me go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, and this is, this is another one of those statements, you know, it's kind of like Elijah and Elisha. What did Jesus mean? Let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Wow, that's pretty harsh, isn't it? I mean, let's be honest. That's pretty sharp. You let the dead go bury. If you want to come, come on. Follow me. Follow me. And another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and what? Say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. This would certainly harken back to the story of Elisha. Let me go back. But he went back and he burned the plow and the oxen. And the Lord is, is saying, you know, like, like Elijah, like Elisha, are you really going to follow me? He didn't, he didn't say you can't go, but it's, a, it's, it's sort of both. It's sort of both. Go, but are you really going to follow me? When he called the disciples and they were fishermen, these guys, you know, sometimes we get the impression these guys were just sort of, you know, low level, just not. These were businessmen. This was a good business. Fishing on the Sea of Galilee was a very good business. And the fact that his father had a fleet of boats indicates that these, that, that, that these disciples like John and Peter, that these, these men were of some means, of some wealth. This was their business and it was a good business. Matthew, the tax collector, he had a very lucrative, good business. And Jesus said, follow me. And they had to decide. And they followed him. And Elisha, Elisha, let me go home, kiss my family goodbye. Elijah, I think he's saying, go. But are you going to come back? Count the cost. Count the cost. Are you going to come? What's interesting to me, as I considered this account, 
And I think of the Old Testament. And I was thinking like last week we talked about the similarities between Moses and Elijah, that the similarities on Mount Horeb, the, the, the number 40, um, complaining to God, being despondent, the presence of God passing by, being, being put in a cave in the cleft of a rock, all these similarities. And we think back on Moses and the life of Moses. Did Moses have an attendant? Huh? Who was it? Joshua. Joshua was called, and, but he was, he was discipled. He was, he was a mentored by Moses. And Joshua was with him. Joshua went up the mountain with him. He was the only, he got to go up the mountain with Moses. He's the one that said, there, there, there's something going on down there. And, and, and Moses says, no, that's not, that's not sound of war. They're celebrating, they're worshiping. It's, it's, it's pagan worship. He was with him every step of the way. He got to be with him. He was one of the spies that went in the land and came back and said, yes, we can do this, Joshua and Caleb. And, 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 when, he, and when Moses died, and it came time to go into that promised land, and, and Joshua has to pick up this mantle and lead these people, lead these people of God in the promised land. And he and he and he and he he has this vision of this this man of war with his sword drawn. And Joshua says, "Are you for us or against us?" And he says, "You take off your shoes. You're on you're on holy ground." And he knew that it was it was the angel of the Lord. And he picked up that mantle and he led those people. In fact, Joshua was a tremendous leader. He is the only person in the Old Testament. He is the only person in the Old Testament of which it is said. Israel served the day Lord all the days of Joshua and the elders who outlived him. He is the only person in the Old Testament that that is said of. He was a tremendous leader, but he was mentored. Moses invested. And Moses had a lot to do, but he invested in Joshua. And Elijah is willing to invest in Elisha. And there's this principle in the Bible. You see this. Think of the Lord Jesus Christ. What did he do? He called 12 men, even one who would betray him. And he invested in those 12 men. He he taught them. He traveled with them. He ate with them. He spent day and night literally with these 12 men. These 12 men who who at times had so little faith. And, 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 had, and were such a burden. There's times they were arguing with each other about who was going to be the greatest. There's, and, and, and Jesus invested in these 12 men. Because when he died, these 12 men, the 11 plus 1 to, to take Judas's place, were going to be called upon to carry his commission within Israel of implementing and, and, and beginning to, to start this message of the, of the Messianic kingdom which God set aside and raised up Paul and took the message to the Gentile world, the church, the body of Christ, the new people of God who we are today. And yet with the Apostle Paul, as you you read his life and you come to the end of the book of Acts and we read his epistles, we find out that the Apostle Paul, we, we were studying Paul in Sunday school this morning, the Apostle Paul, who was given this humongous task when he was called, I have called you to, to take my, my name before Gentiles and Jews and kings, powerful emperors. You, you're the one who I've tasked to take this message to the Gentile world. 
this new message that God is doing something brand new where Jew and Gentile now come together as one new humanity, the new person of God, the new people of God, the church, the body of Christ, where it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, male or free, slave, uh, slave or free, male or female, you are the new people of God, the new entity, the church, the body of Christ, who we are today. And he tasked Paul to begin this ministry and take that message and said, I must show you all the things you must suffer. And Paul recounts the suffering he went through, but he was faithful to that task. As he comes toward the end of his life, he spends four plus years in prison. Two years in Caesarea, a long boat trip to Rome, and two years in Rome at the zenith of, of what he was supposed to be doing. When he was supposed to be planting churches and building up churches and spreading the gospel, he wanted to go to Spain. Uh, somebody just gave me, uh, Sherwood gave me some papers an older ma- a man wrote 50 years ago on uh, possibly Paul going to Britain. We, we don't know. But we know his heart was to go to the end of the world with the gospel because that's what he was tasked to do. And then God puts him in prison for over four years when he was supposed to be out doing his work. But while he was there, you see, God had already raised up a cadre of men whom Paul had discipled and mentored and invested in who were doing the work while he was there. One of those men in the book of Acts, in chapter 16, the book of Acts, chapter 16, as Paul, as Paul is beginning, getting ready to go on his second missionary journey. And he has a little issue because, well, he actually has a big issue because his cousin Barnabas has decided to part ways. And they argued over taking Mark, John Mark, because Mark was a man who went on the first journey but left them. They had discipled him. They had mentored him. They had invested in him. And he went with them, but he bagged out. He quit. He left. And when it comes time for the second missionary journey, Barnabas wants to take Mark. And Paul says, no, he's not going. And they have such a disagreement, they part company, and Paul has to go out and on his own with a new team. And it says in chapter 16, he takes Silas with him. In chapter 16, he came to Derby and there and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, whose father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. And Paul wanted to take him along in the journey. And that thus begins this relationship um, that may have already started before, but at this point, he is the one that, that they have invested in. He is the man, he is the young man, at the, and he is a young man at these cities that these elders say, Paul, he is a good man. We see God at work in him. We see his faith. He's Elisha. He is Joshua. Take him with you. And Paul takes Timothy with him. And Timothy and Titus and some other men that Paul invested invested his life into while he was busy traveling and preaching and teaching he took time with them and he taught them and he mentored them and he said no you know i'm i'm thinking out loud here between the lines uh timothy that's not a good way to respond to those people (laughs) timothy no i think i would do it this way timothy what do you think about this what do you think about this church timothy who do you think timothy if you consider what moses meant when he wrote this Have you thought about what the Lord Jesus Christ, when he taught? Let me tell you what God's been been revealing to me. And he mentored and he invested and he spent time. And Timothy, to the point, while Paul was in prison, and then later on we think Paul was released, and Paul was rearrested, and this time he was in a dungeon, and he was going to be killed for Christ. 
And the work had to go on at this critical, critical time. And we go to the pastoral epistles to 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. And we read in 1 Timothy, To Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so you may command certain men. Do the work of the ministry, Timothy. Shepherd this church. Train these elders. Do this work while, while I am in the dungeon, while, I, while, I, while I'm traveling. And then in 2 Timothy, when he is rearrested and he is facing his own execution, and he writes in 2, he writes in 2 Timothy to, to Timothy, I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience. As night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Are you remembering anybody in prayer constantly, day and night? Does God put anybody in your heart that you're, you pray for every day? Every day? Paul did. He said, I recall your tears. I think the tears that they're parting. I long to see you so that I might be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, Timothy, I'm about to die. But I've invested in you, Timothy, and this work has to go on. And I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. So don't be ashamed. Timothy, guard the gospel. Do the work. Teach. Don't be afraid to teach. Don't be afraid what they say. Don't be afraid if they leave. You keep on teaching. And, and, and Paul comes to the end of this letter of, of, of 2 Timothy. And he's, and he's talking about people he's discipled, people he's mentored. You know, we talked with, with Kennedy. And, and it was, it was discour- it's discouraging and it's joyful because we think back when we went out there in 1998, Dwayne and I had lunch with Kennedy and some of you that have been to Africa and think of some of the leaders and people that, that they've invested in. And just like it happens everywhere, whether it's in America or Africa or Asia, it doesn't matter. It happens everywhere that you can invest in someone and they leave. Not only do they leave, they may leave and try and cause problems for the work that, that God has, has, has had you mentor them in. And, and as Paul comes to the end of his life, he, he comes to the end of his life, the apostle to the Gentile world. Do your best to come to me quickly for Demas, whom we mentored, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus is in Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Nobody would even nobody would even stand next to Paul at his trial. He says this at my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. Not one person would stand next to Paul and give a character reference in his hour of need. But he says, God stood by me. God stood by me. It's okay. But he does say this. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him, to, bring him with you because he is helpful in my ministry. Hey, Mark, who Paul and Barnabas split up over, he and Paul have been reconciled. And Paul has finished mentoring and discipling him. Mark has also worked with Peter. He spent a lot of time with Peter. And he has been reinstalled and, 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 and mentored and, and invested in. And, and Paul says, he is helpful. Bring him with you. He's one of the last ones we can count on. Bring him with you. 
I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak. Timothy, I am counting on you to do this work. And just as Elijah invested in Elisha, and you know what the amazing thing is? God had it all planned out. It was all set up. Elijah didn't go around looking for someone. God said, God said, Elijah, I've got 7,000. Don't worry about this. This is my work, not yours. I've got 7,000 who have not bowed to Baal, as bad as the situation looks. And in fact, I've already got my hand on Elisha. You go find him and get him, and he will go with you. Moses, i got Joshua. He is the man I have chosen. He is a, the Lord Jesus Christ prayed to God the Father, and the God led him, and he called those 12 disciples one by one. And Paul went to, went, went, went to Lystra and he finds Timothy and, and, and God leads him. And, he, and, and Timothy had already been prepped by God for this work. His mother, his grandmother were believers. Now, whatever that means, and when they came to Christ and the Jewish side of his family, they were believers. And God had prepped him. God had prepared him. Ever since the time Timothy was born, God had been preparing him for this job. And Paul mentored him and invested in him. And I've said all that today to say this. I want to ask you today. You know, the Apostle Paul used Elijah in Romans when, when people were discouraged and saying Israel's turned away, and, and, and Paul says, No, they haven't. God, God, and he refers to Elijah and says, Just like in the days of Elijah, God's got thousands of, of, of even his own people who are, who are coming to Christ. Paul says, Look at me. I'm, I'm, I'm a Jew. I'm a remnant. But I want to ask you today who are you investing in? Who are you investing in? If you're here today and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, who are you investing in? Who are you, if you don't mind me using the term, discipling? Who has God placed in your life that God is already preparing for His work? This is God's work. You and I are not going to be here forever. We are not going to be here very long. Some of you young people are going to be here longer than the rest of us. But we have no guarantees. Who are you investing in for God's work? Who are you investing in? Parents, grandparents, are you investing in your children and grandchildren for God's work? Are you investing in them? Are you, are you more concerned about their financial well-being, their, their careers, and this and that and everything else? Or are you first concerned about their walk with the Lord and their growth in Jesus Christ and their willingness to serve Him, no matter what that means, whether it's in a high-paying, great job, or whether it's, it's serving where, where they get hardly any... Are you willing to... Are you investing in your own family? Are you investing? Every one of us. There's somebody in our lives. Teachers, leaders, Awana, Pioneer Girls, Sunday School leaders, small group leaders. Are you investing? Has God put someone on your heart? Has God put somebody on your heart that you are investing in? That God has already put their hand on? They might be over in those departments right now. And God's going to do tremendous things for His glory with those young people, those children. Your kids, our kids, each other, your friends, my friends. Who are you investing in? Do you care? Do I care? 
Do I get so busy in my ministry pastoring everybody? Am I investing in somebody to prepare for God's work? Elisha answered the call. And there was no turning back. And we have young people and children and adults today who are willing to answer the call. And they need investment. They need mentoring. They need our resources. They need our commitment. And if God has put one person, one child, one grandchild, one student, one small group member, one friend, I don't care how old they are. They might be older than me. If God has put that person on your heart, like the Apostle Paul, are you praying for them night and day? Are you encouraging them? Are you investing in them? Because this is God's work. And He is already working in their lives. And He's just asking you to come alongside and to be an Elijah, to be a Moses, to be a Paul, and invest in somebody's life for God's work. Let's close our service. You guys got a song, a good song for us to pick out. You all pick out all good songs. We're going to sing, I Surrender All Today. Let's sing this to the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me as we close our service? Our Heavenly Father, as faith reminded us, it's easy to sing that. But God, we we love you today. And we we want to surrender all. As, As a church family, Lord, I thank you for a congregation that sacrifices, that gives, so we can invest in our children and our youth and our young adults and each other. And Father, I just I pray today that you would, if you if if it hasn't happened, that for every person here that knows Christ as Savior, that you would just put on their heart at least a person, family member, it could be a friend. Could be someone their own age, could be younger, could even be older. That you would put on our hearts, that we would invest in, that we would encourage, that we would take the time and speak to, to challenge, to admonish, to teach, to be with, to love. We thank you for that privilege. And Lord, as we leave today, we have been speaking to your family that, that know you as Savior. And I know, Lord, that I don't want anybody to leave this place today without knowing how much you love them. And if there be one person here today, Father, who has come and honestly has to say, I am not part of your family. I'm not, not, not this church, but your family. I do not know Christ as my Savior. I have not received forgiveness for sins. Lord, if there's one person here today, might you impress upon their heart that you love them so much that Jesus Christ, God himself, came to earth and died on the cross and paid for their sin. That through simple acknowledgement and in humbleness to receive Christ's forgiveness and payment for their sin, that they could pass from death to life. Might you impress that on their heart today and may they come and say yes and receive Christ as their Savior. We pray these things in our Savior's wonderful name and all God's people can say it together. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen.